Dear Asian Girl, For Asian Girls, By Asian Girls. Hi everyone, I'm Naina here with Genesis today, and today we're going to be talking about the white gaze. And just a brief definition of the white gaze for those who are unfamiliar. Every person, regardless of you know your race, your gender, socioeconomic status, sexuality, and other facets of your identity have a specific gaze. It creates a bias that we can only so much control because it fuels into how we interpret the world around us, the people around us, etc. because of our experiences as our said identity markers. And the white gaze is specifically when people's perception of the world or people around them, including minorities, are through the perspective of a white person. And this becomes problematic when there's a majority of white creators, white people in general, in charge of representation for Asians, because false narratives are made as a result of lack of experiences as an Asian. Like you can't write about Asians when you haven't been an Asian, just common sense. So often like Asians are distorted into the white gaze of stereotypes of Asians. And these will create characteristics for our communities that serve white people while diminishing Asian communities. So this is something that we've been bombarded with since, you know, we've been out of the womb because it's a common fact. It's a well-known fact that like white people are in the majority. They have more power in the world when it comes to creating content in comparison to Asians. So I just want to talk about with you guys today how we feel like we've been affected and also just interacted with the white gaze and just, yeah, it's just, we're just going to hash out the ways that we feel like the white gaze has been put upon us. And yeah, I hope you guys are like excited to like really just have this conversation. But before we start talking about the white gaze, I just want to introduce our guests. We have Maya and Marcella. They both work at Dear Asian Youth and are heavily passionate on the topic. And we got some really, really great things. So who wants to start first? My name is Mia Sato. I'm the co-director of social media here at Dear Asian Youth. Um, my pronouns are she, they. I am half Japanese, half Taiwanese. So I am like visual like very much East Asian um which we will delve into later how that you know makes my life so uh, so fun my name is Marcella my pronouns are she her I'm an illustrator for Dear Asian Youth I only just joined like I officially got onboarded in February and like did work in February that's how little I've been here but I'm very happy to be here my identity Mia mentioned she's Taiwanese and Japanese I am Filipina like full Filipina like nothing else just straight up I'm Filipino. Yeah, my interest in relation to the topic is that it affects me in every single aspect of my life. Like, I perceive, for the longest time, I perceive myself based on what I think is desirable to people, what I've been told is desirable to people. And I really just enjoy talking to people that, like, share similar experiences and discussing all the different, like, nuances of these topics. So that's why I'm here today. All right, thank you guys so much for being here. And you guys work so hard for the gay team. Like just a little shout out for you guys. Like you guys work way too hard and we're just so grateful for y'all. And so you guys are aware, I also identify South Asian, specifically Indian. I'm 100% Indian. And Genesis, would you also like to introduce yourself so to provide context? Yeah, hi. Um, for any of the new listeners that are out there, I'm Genesis. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I am a full Filipina. Um, and I live in the Chicagoland area. All right, so we want to start off and kick off this conversation by asking, what are some common tropes of Asians that we've seen in the media, whether it's in TV shows, movies, music, etc.? Yeah, um, well, I just want to start off by saying that a lot of 
times when Asian women specifically are portrayed in media and Asian men, but more often not Asian women when they're portrayed in media, it's always like East Asian women. So not people that look like me, if it is people that look like me or are Filipina, they're usually light skins. But yeah, they're often like meek or subordinate to another person. I will say though that in a lot of media, and because I am East Asian, I portrayed a lot. Um, and as someone who is more feminine presenting, um, obviously I'm perceived as a East Asian woman. And so when it comes to tropes that East Asian women face, I mean, that's pretty much like the tip of the iceberg. I think that in terms of sexualization and desexualization, it also comes with the fact that colorism plays a large part in it and I think that Marcel will definitely go in more depth but um there's a perception that East Asians are all also a monolith and that we all look pale as well when in fact no we tan just as much as anybody else and especially if you go into the southern areas um there are a lot more skin variations as well um but I also think that with the desexualization of like darker skinned women, um, especially for our brown community, they really come into contact with the idea of being portrayed as masculine and undesirable. Literally everything you guys said though, like I, I definitely have seen or definitely have been sort of familiar, like, you know, noticed it. Can you guys recall or think of any specific, like, I guess, shows that you saw this in? Do any come to mind that like really just stuck out to you in terms of like an example for like the white gays on Asians? I think my biggest concern with Hollywood nowadays is just like the difference between the sort of casting. Like we have two two different types of casting such as colorblind casting and color conscious casting which I go really in depth of because I just can't stand it. For all the listeners that don't really know the the difference between colorblind casting versus like color conscious casting. So colorblind ca casting is basically what it means. It's a practice where race is like not considered during the casting process at all versus color conscious casting, which is like more inclusive practice where race is like considered during casting the processes. So we can clearly see in certain movies such as, I don't know if you know, Scarlett Johansson. She oh like God, goes in the shell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes to show like colorblind casting kind of takes away like many opportunities for actors of color that should have had those opportunities instead and yeah like, colorblind casting only works when you're giving a person of color the role of a white person when that white person's race doesn't actually matter in that story exactly so that's where like color conscious casting kind of comes into play so for example like hamilton like most of the musical was made specifically for non-white actors when casting for representation in Broadway and Hollywood. Yeah, and color conscious casting definitely has its downfall. Um, I know Steven Yeun recently started Minari, which is a movie about Korean immigrants. He was afraid to be put into a box of like, well, now I can only play an Asian guy and people will take in my race when it comes to uh, casting me for a role. And so even though I do appreciate color conscious casting, definitely when it comes to um, boxing people in, that can definitely be um, a setback. Another thing I wanted to say in regards to color conscious casting is definitely the attention that isn't placed on ethnicity. It has always bothered me when it is clearly not like a Japanese or a Filipino person or any really person of like each different country and they've somehow merged them all into like Chinese actors or Korean actors and that doesn't sit right with me because what it does in my mind is that it continues the idea of all, all East Asian people look the same 
and that our stories are somehow interchangeable with our ethnicities. It's not. And in my mind, what it does is that it also limits the amount of actors going into acting. How about all the, you know, Filipino actors that want to go into this, you know, profession and all of a sudden their roles are being taken by someone who isn't even Filipino. Like for Ghost in the Shell, especially, why couldn't it have been a Japanese actor? Like why? Why? No reason. And I think it speaks exactly to white privilege. And so when it comes to their privilege, that's why it's easier for them to fit into different roles because their race is in a facet of the stories that they're portraying. Now, the stories that are being produced and everything, if they're not concentrated on people of color, somehow you can't pass people of color. And so it then comes down to the whole premise of being able to have diverse stories and to have a diverse and accurate cast and also to actively dismantle white supremacy and privilege within the whole premise of the film industry. Um, yeah, and people will be like all mad because they're like, why are you making everything about race? My my life is centered around the issue of race. That's why being racially colorblind, especially in the Hollywood industry, really upsets me because of obviously like ignores the experiences of POC and just erasing any sort of struggles or unique aspects they have of their life. And I remember thinking like, it's, it's so funny to me how Hollywood always is trying to perpetuate the fact that like what they're doing is, you know, it, it feels very white savior, like what they're doing is, you know, for the purpose of, you know, minorities and everything, which very much mirrors like the model minority myth, which just, just to explain, like it's fueled by white supremacy. It just basically places Asians in the light of being overachieving, being very successful. And basically it was created to appear, to have white people appear, you know, very racially just, you know, because, oh, we're giving a minority power. We're giving a minority, you know, these good traits and qualities when in fact, you know, just try to create this ridge between other minorities and Asians. So basically how this mirrors with um, being racially colorblind. I'm very old school. There was this panelist who came to talk about his experience being in an orchestra. He was saying how great his orchestra is because auditions were placed in a format where they would like sort of put this carpet on the ground where they couldn't hear like, you know, if someone was walking with heels or not. So, you know, gender was like ambiguous and they wouldn't be able to cast face on that. He was, you know, saying this in a very proud manner. And, oh yeah, my orchestra is so great for doing this. And for one, it was weird that like they had a white male say that, not like, a female or like even a female of color he made it seem so perfect when in fact you wouldn't be able to like get people of color in the orchestra and it felt very like white savior very like you know because he can't really speak from the perspective of people of color musicians who are trying to get in, like you know be successful and get these auditions and whatnot since we are addressing these tropes and everything that's come with it i was wondering how have tropes affected your own life since we're going of like a personal route so like were there any experiences in which the tropes were like used against you or you've seen it like in your daily lives where you felt like you felt ashamed of it etc yeah (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to being an east asian um and especially being more feminine and being perceived as a woman i'm often objectified by white men either on the internet on the street um by men i know in my life who aren't who aren't asian and at the same time it can also happen who, to men who are Asian, um, where they objectify Asian women. My first relationship was actually, I'm pretty 100% sure that it, he was very much having yellow fever. Um, and I should have noticed the pattern immediately, but I did not. Um, so that's number one. But overall, I think a lot of my experiences culminate in 
the fact that uh, my attractive attractiveness is based on the fact that I am Asian and that somehow always when I'm complimented, it's always you're a sexy Asian woman. I've had multiple comments told to me about how their white genitalia, what they can do to me with their genitalia um, to um, pleasure me, to, to, you know, make me listen as an Asian woman. And that's all like, in a power dynamic that they've obviously been conditioned to think that we're somehow okay with. Um, and they use, they weaponize our identity against us. So a lot of the time I'm harassed um, on the street or on the internet based on the fact that they perceive me to be an Asian woman and therefore fall into every trope and use their dominant um, social standing and uh, an identity against me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with everything you said. When it comes to the way that Asian women are perceived in media or uh, portrayed in media, again, I never see myself represented. So I have to find this, the, a crumb of representation in just Asian women in general, which again, perpetuates the fact that we're all a monolith, like all Asian people are the same, unless you're South Asian or West Asian, because you don't ever look like an East Asian person. So how can you be the same? Ah, crazy. Um, I've never really had a proper like representation unless it's like Filipino media, but I don't watch Filipino media. I can't speak Tagalog. Um, I'm not watching TFC. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking for shreds of representation in the form of just Asian women in general. And when I was really into anime in middle school, I was like, um, already I had been growing up in an extremely white community. Like my elementary school was like 50% white, um, which is really disappointing. And then when I went to middle school, um, which funnily enough, they're right next to each other, like my middle school and my elementary school, but they're like completely different like vibes. Like the the um, the communities and the ethnic buildup of the two schools is like completely different, which I find really interesting. Anyways, um, when I transferred to middle school, it was majority black but there still was such a little um, a little percentage of Asian people in my school. So I still had not felt represented or still had not felt like a sense of community in my younger and very important formative years. So when I was watching anime and never saw myself represented, I wished to be not Filipino. Like I understood, even though I was like 11 and like I didn't really know what any of this meant, like I can pinpoint it now. Um, I still wanted to be perceived as Asian because, you know, Asian people were considered desirable in a really twisted way, which is fetishization. Um, but I was Filipina. I wasn't like a desirable type of Asian. Like I wasn't the right type of Asian. I wanted to be like Japanese or Korean or Chinese because all these like beautiful pale East Asian girls were the only things that were given to me as representation. Um, and especially the meek type, which affects me every day because I am so loud. I love to speak my mind. I um, am not like cute. I can't do like a cute little voice. I've had a boy voice my whole life. I I'm, I'm never any of the things that people think of when they think of Asian. And so when I have told people in the past that I'm Asian, they're like, are you sure? Like, I've never seen an Asian person that looks like you before. Someone has literally, one time, I'm, if my, like people from my school listen to this this is gonna be like embarrassing but um there was a, a time where I was an IWE for the office at my middle school and the teacher there she was really sweet she's really sweet I promise she's really sweet um but like the attendance clerk lady I don't really know what her actual job was 
she gave me a flyer and it was for Latino night, like cultural night. And I was That's like, really funny because I've had someone argue with me trying to tell me I'm Venezuelan. I've told the story on the podcast. <laughs> it was so specific and like nuanced too. Like you can like not believe the fact that I'm Asian when I'm telling you I'm Asian, but you're going to stick to like a very specific I know. in like Latin America. Like that's okay. All right. But go on. Tell I know, me it's so but like, cause my name is like, you know, doesn't sound Asian. Marcelo Ariola. What? That is not an Asian sounding name. Um, That's like colonialism from the Spaniards, which is transfers over to like a bunch of other uh, Latin, Latin American countries. But yeah, like I didn't look Asian, not really. Um, I looked a lot different in middle school than I look now. Um, I didn't really look Asian. I didn't sound Asian. I wasn't an Asian stereotype. All of these things, just like, I was the complete antithesis to what an Asian person is. Like what people think of when they think of an Asian person. So that messed with me for so long. I hated being Asian so much. I wished I was white or like I had, you know, like I wish I was a different kind of Asian. And I was basing my desirableness off of like the proximity I had to whiteness. So, cause I was like, okay, well if I'm Asian, as long as I'm, you know, like East Asian or what a stereotype is, I'll still be desirable, which is like so, so bad. I just really just so many points that he made, but I feel like, your like overall consensus was just proximity to whiteness has really like played a role in your life and just the way you like presented yourself. And I, that may be a projection of my experiences where like I would, you know, find a crumb of representation, just really latch onto it because you know, what's like the next major form of representation that I may experience as a South Asian. And every time I found that, you know, a thing that I can latch onto, it really seeped into my personality and my presentation. Like I went through so many phases that were so fueled by that, like no other reason. Like in sixth grade, I thought like the best way to like go around, like, you know, be perceived as like someone who is likable, you know, because like middle school phases, you know, you want to be just, you don't want to be seen as foreign, which is such a thing that like Asians commonly experience. I thought the best thing to do was being meek and like subservient, you know, just be the quiet one in the background and never really stirred up anything, never really gave them much input to anything. Just whatever the white people would say, just like laugh along with it because white people, in my mind, based on like how I would view the media, they could constitute what was right, what was wrong, what was likable, what was unlikable. So I just really let white people dominate my personality. Like you can tell in the way I dressed you, like the Brandy Melville shirts because white people deemed it as a trend. <laughs> just, it was, it's trying to like look through my camera roll. It's really not a great experience. And then just also seeing all the stereotypes of like South Asian girls in the media being masculinized. Like there's like a common joke, you know, especially with white girls, like, you know, oh, I can never put my hair in a ponytail up because I look like a founding father. I get told I look like a male boy because, you know, I'm Asian and I'm South Asian. Like I'm not going to have like big chest area, upper chest areas. <laughs> but like there are certain features that I have that are considered so masculinized because they're not imagined. Like they just don't, fit with like what would be on a white girl's body therefore they cannot be the beauty standard therefore they're it's just not going to be what white males are attracted to which is like what we're told to you know sort of pertain to yeah there's a scale of like being hyper masculine and then being hypersexualized, and um that also very much has to do it's like hand in hand with colorism well because i i i'm telling you if i was east asian and i was like a light-skinned person, I would not feel as insecure about my identity um, because of my proximity to whiteness. And I am not Indian, I'm not South Asian or you know West Asian, I'm not that. 
So I can't speak on how they feel about this, but there is definitely a pattern of the darker the skin color or um, the further away it is from East Asia, the more masculinized they'll be. And just to clarify, like this isn't to say that like East Asians can't be insecure about the femininity because not that I'd be able to relate, but it seems like- Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Of course, yeah. But me, I'm actually wondering, like, being an East Asian and someone who's, like, of lighter skin compared to us, like, do you ever feel pressure to, like, fit into that, like, hyper-feminized point of view that white people place on us? Because you've mentioned experiences of being, like, um, fetishized by um, a past relationship or a past um, dating mate. So I'm just wondering if that's, like, affected you at all? Or just what is your experience on that? I can't trust that my race and how I present myself has not been concluded into the factor of why they find myself find me attractive and that's something that constantly is on like the back of my mind of like are they solely dating me because I'm East Asian and I appear to be the more feminine type um or are they dating me because I they actually like who I am and that's like small in comparison to what I think about other um Asian issues as well I feel like I'm always and that's another thing it's like a lot of people will say like it's a compliment that you know you should feel like you are appreciated but I'm not it makes me feel gross it makes me feel like I have to fulfill a certain um fantasy that you have and I'm not I'm reality and the reality is that I am not who you think I am a lot of the time what happens is that men that have interacted with me that have sexualized me expect a response of gratitude um (laughs) when in regards to the white gaze i think that what they try to do is really simplify and gaslight that's my take on it and especially with other regions of asia what seems to happen is that they want to reduce people again like i said before to only one facet of their identity and so it's hard for even east asians and because it's my community i want to criticize a little bit it's hard for east asians to also rally up behind our brown siblings and religion is involved because we're so divided from that and we're so separated from that that we feel like they're not part of our community and we don't show up when we need to and so it's hard for us to really attain liberation in terms of media in terms of you know social aspects as well because we can't come together and really realize that what's poisoning our community is far larger than just I can't get a date without thinking that they like they want me to dress up in a schoolgirl outfit um and <laughs> that was a joke please laugh um but <laughs> but I think that you know when we don't perceive that Islamophobia is very much an, an Asian issue when we don't perceive that you know religious um discrimination is an Asian issue or that the desexualization of our brown community is an Asian issue et cetera, et cetera, as well as the U.S. destabilization of West Asia and Asian issue. We continue to see that we play and we feed into it. We feed into how we're not consciously coming together to dismantle systems that oppress us. Um, and I think that part of it is because we're at least, you know, we're not taught to really stand up for ourselves. Um, and then it also doesn't help when media is like, when you are quiet, you are sexualized. When you are loud, you are also sexualized. What, what am I supposed to be then? What yeah, can't win, so I, can't win. 
No, literally. And so I either play into the idea of being a dragon lady or I play into the idea of being a lotus flower. And I never know where to, where I am. And especially if they think that I am that stereotype and how they perceive me based on that. And so for me, it's like, how, how do I navigate um, how to present myself? That just really stuck out to me in terms of your experiences with like being so fearful that like all your interactions with white men are fueled based on your identity, your clear identity as an East Asian woman or feminine person. Something that stuck out to me was how white men would come up to you, say these compliments that were clearly unwarranted, objectifying you as Asian women so often are, and being told that it's a favor. And I feel like I've really, not as an East Asian woman, of course, but just, or just the whole sense of like, whatever white people are doing for us is like, just like, lift us up I feel like it's really rooted into my psyche like in a model minority myth being told that like oh us saying that you know you guys are very successful this is uplifting you you can have opportunities that you wouldn't have as any other minority that we didn't you know try to help out and it sort of relates to how like something I feel like you touched on earlier was how something that I feel like I is a big part of my uh, personality as an Asian like I felt like I have to get higher up in the world by utilizing the traits of like white men places on Asians and it's sort of like what Marcel was saying on that scale it being masculinized and being fetishized and feminized I feel like I've always had to like do certain things to like counteract the masculinity that I would face by you know being overly feminine like I remember I always kept my hair very long but like when I had to cut I felt so insecure about it I felt the need to you know excessively put on makeup to like seem you know feminine and seem like the Asian beauty standard and Really, I just think it ties into like proximity to whiteness and how like white girls are like always seen. Like when you picture like the beautiful white girls, you know, most likely like a long blonde haired girl. So you feel like they need to like get as close to that as you possibly could. I think something to sort of support that is sort of like my experience growing up because I definitely was placed in more of like a hyper masculinity sort of sort of um, perspective because when I was growing up, I did acquire some body hair throughout maybe like my mustache area, maybe my arms. And so I was seen like literally one dude called me almost barbaric. Like he literally almost called me a monkey going into like elementary school. So I think growing up and having those like stereotypes really placed on you, I would almost like, it was horrible. Like I would almost like gaslight myself and be like, your problems like weren't valid at all. Like the, like you shouldn't be experiencing that. But like what Marcella said, like your experiences are so important. And just because like you have this one perspective that you have, it doesn't mean that like, it should be diminished just because of someone else's problems, which I, I don't know. That was sort of a side note. Just that really reminded me of how, like, I, again, like the nuance that, like, Marcel was referring to, like, I'm privileged to be specifically Punjabi, which is a region in India, because there are other people from different regions in India that face, like, more typically have more body hair and grow more body hair or are darker skin tones. Like, they are more masculinized than I will ever be. And just, I think that's, like, also important, like, to notice the nuance between, like, different Asians and different types of South Asians and then different types of Indians. And that goes for like every single region. I was also called out for my body hair. Um, and I still, I still shave today, like every week religiously. Um, and if I see it in the mirror, I'll go, Oh my God, how dare my body produce something natural. Um, and it just relates back to how men how Asian men continue to oppress their, how men continue to oppress their own communities without realizing it, the patriarchy. Um, 
I grew up in Asia and a lot of the expectations for me were to be submissive, to be a good housewife, to know how to cook, how to clean, blah, blah, blah. We all get it. Um, and at the same time to somehow be able to break out of that mold and be a career woman, be smart. Um, but when I started to struggle, they were like, oh no, it's okay. You don't have to because you're a woman. Anyways. So even within our own communities, we face oppression because of the fact that we are either women or femme presenting, et cetera, just not the men. Right. Um, and so it's like, double-sided you know you outside your community and within your community with the infantilization of asian women it's un, and asian people in general we see this with k-pop too um that's another yeah i just saw marcel like oh my god um that's another way for them to justify imperialism what better way to you know be like oh well they need our help we need to save them other than reducing them to almost infant-like entities and strip away the fact that they are fully functioning like they're fine um and by make by infantilizing certain people groups they use it as a way to continuously paint you as weak paint you as you know unable to make your own decisions unable to maintain your own autonomy um and this can happen to literally any community it's just another way for another people group to dominate another group of people um it's a tactic so that's what I wanted to say about infantilization yeah and I think if you need an example I feel like you guys don't need examples but if you guys need examples of infantilization you can literally look at the two most popular forms of Asian media right now which is anime and k-pop like there is a there has been a huge resurgence of like popularity in these two things um at least like from what I've seen I when I was watching anime, that was like in 2015-ish, around that time, um, I didn't really know anyone that enjoyed it a lot. They all thought it was really weird. They all thought it was like, um, oh, why are you watching media and they're talking in like a different language and just making fun of it? Or why are you listening to music and they're like not, spe they're not singing in English? All these things, right? Just judging it based on its origin. Um, back then it was very much considered like an interesting or weird hobby um especially with the stigma of like a lot of the fandoms which i don't even want to get into that's like an entirely different conversation for another day um but now i don't well maybe i could say why but the i think the reason why uh anime and k-pop has gotten so popular now is because a lot more people started enjoying it over quarantine and a lot more why people started enjoying it over quarantine um, I was talking to this with Ashani last night. We were talking about how um, a lot of like just attractive white people just like started being like, hey, I like anime now. Or like, I listen to K-pop. And then people started picking it up and it's become like much more normal. Um, sorry if you get offended by that, but it's the truth. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> Anyways, um, with that um, like resurgence in popularity of these two forms of media, there has been a huge problem with the infantilization of Asian people and also Asian men, which you don't see very often because you always have seen Asian men as undesirable. But so, so often now you see people like talking about anime characters and like in turn um, fetishizing Japanese men. Okay, like, do you ever see those TikToks where there's a couple and it's a white grown Asian man and the comments are filled with Asian man one, king our asian king got the white girl it's oh yeah really reminded yeah. me. yeah or if it's an asian girl they're always calling the girl the, their waifu like do i 
do um, i'm just gonna scroll because if i if i don't scroll right now i'm gonna like explode but yeah with with the uh resurgence of popularity in k-pop and anime uh and just like overall acceptance of it like it's become um just like a thing that people like and it's not like weird or as stigmatized as it used to be i feel like um there have been so many more people infantilizing fetishizing asian people um but because so many people are fetishizing them and finally finding Asian people more attractive, at least Asian men more attractive. I have seen so many Asian boys make videos like choose your Asian boyfriend. It's like a, a friend group and they're all like standing in the circle and they're like, choose your Asian boyfriend, the Korean, the Japanese guy or like something. And it's so, it's it's actually very saddening to see. Like I'll cringe, obviously I'll cringe. I'll be like, this is so uncomfortable. Yeah, but, but I'll at, also the, be at like, the end of the day, it's exciting to see like, they only view their attraction based on how like, White people, on how other people, people. Mm-hmm. View, view them, especially because of the fact that like America finally made K-pop a trend, they had to wait for that to be deemed attractive. And yes, exactly, exactly. And it's a really, it's really, like, it's pretty twisted because um, they don't even realize that they're fetishizing themselves or playing into the fetishization. They just think like, oh, I'm finally being perceived as attractive after all this time, which is really sad, by the way. Attractive Asian people have existed for so long. Like, you don't, you Like don't. how I said earlier, like, latching on to, like, representation the minute we get it because it's so rare. Like, that's exactly what this is. Like, I finally be seen, yeah. finally being seen as, like, attractive, so I'm going to, like, hold on to it and, like, perpetuate whatever, unhar- like, harmful stereotypes I can just to, like... Yes, exactly. Because that's that the only way I can be perceived as attractive. Yeah, like, I have never seen an Asian... I've never seen a Filipino guy make a thirst trap video until recently like i have such a new every concept. time i mean i swear yes every time i like know a filipino guy in real life and they have like a social media they never post pictures of themselves they never like um post a selfie or send selfies to people but now that people are finding more and more filipino guys attractive or like asian men in general like they're becoming braver and like it's good that you're becoming confident right but it happened in such a twisted and roundabout way which i dislike and i'm allowed to critique that so i have so many thoughts number one (laughs) so remember how i talked about beforehand like how um even asian even asian men can oppress asian women and how you know other um even though even if they're poc like they can still you know play in the stereotypes we do the same as well for our asian community still does the same thing i think also when we talk about internalizing stereotypes and you know believing that this is somehow a compliment turns into like pick me asians um and what happens is that we play into it in hopes of being accepted and i think that that's a that's like a survival tactic in my opinion which is problematic and toxic but ultimately it's out of wanting to be accepted um which can turn into more horrifying things of like you know obviously gaslighting other asians and etc etc um wanted to say that number one number two uh on the subject of tiktok you you guys have seen how tiktok censors the word asian women right it makes me really really angry because number one it's it's playing into how we have become sex objects we have become a category of porn and that is somehow in the same like we are physically seeing the manifestation of how we've been sexualized to a point where that is the first thing the captions think of when they hear asian women yeah and i i'm sorry 
go ahead um i was also thinking like yes i'm obviously very angry that like asian women is being censored because there's no reason for it to be censored you can say black woman you can say white women you can say like hispanic woman you can say all these things but you, you can't say asian women it'll censor it which of course that's ridiculous but i also think it's coming from the fact that so many people have been making videos talking about asian women and asian issues to the point where like you know bigots will find it and they'll like spam the comments and um i get as racist or people will just mass report it for no reason because they don't like what they're hearing they don't like to be called out um to the point where tiktok is like ooh, maybe this is a problem and like obviously like i definitely do think it has to do with like people fetishizing asian women and like you know um talking about them to the point where it's like considered a slur but i also think it's just like people are talking about asian issues on tiktok pertaining to asian women and people are like mass reporting it and then now tiktok is like well if it contains this content then it's probably bad right which is also frankly ridiculous so i think it's not only like tiktok automatically censoring it um for several different reasons not pertaining to like humans being idiots that but i think it's also very I 100% agree with you. I think part of the reason why is absolutely that. Um, but I've seen TikToks where they talk about, you know, um, like porn, like genres, and they're all censored in the same way. So both. I think that's yeah, both. I've, I've never seen that. I've never seen that. That's really disgusting, though. Sorry. That's disgusting. That is. And one more thing I wanted to say about the white gays, because I keep thinking about it. Um, and I can't believe I didn't say it before, especially with what you talked about, Marcella, about appropriation. I, it's 100 percent appropriation, because when when white people take it and say, oh, this is good. And now it's perceived as good. It's yeah. absolutely appropriation. Yeah. I have no hesitancy to just feel like that's appropriation. Asian food, anything people of color do, fashion, uh, dialects. AV, <laughs> like they will take that and run with it. And all of a sudden it's trendy. Our yeah. existence, um, especially when it comes to like Asian, like um, take, like have a fun day with me. And they literally go to like a ranch 99 and buy like snacks. Like girl, that's groceries. That's groceries. I don't know why you are like making such a de- big deal out of you. Like going to ranch 99 with your friends and like getting a gummy choco, like, that's just me doing a grocery run. And I never really understood why it bothered me so much until like I was thinking about it more and how it basically is just like appropriation of culture. Because why is why is the things that I consume on a daily basis or the stuff that I just like live with every day, why is it being so sensationalized? Like what about this is so cutesy that you have to like film it and make a video about it and I'm not judging you if you like yeah I'm not I'm not judging you if you've like made a video about you and your friends going out and like going to get snacks going to have a little picnic going to like get a manga or whatever at your local comic book store like I'm not judging you for those videos but the people no, it just mind boggles me that they think it's just like this new trendy thing and they try to make it seem like it's there yes that's what yes like oh my god guys look what i discovered it's giving christopher columbus like i'm not even joking colonization look what i I discovered at this weird market like near my house these cutesy little packages market the exotic market yes 
it's just another form of exoticism. Like people, people will deny to the ends of the earth that they're right, that they're like, you know, I'm not racist. I'm not, um, I'm not gentrifying or whitewashing your culture, but then they'll go and do stuff like this every day. And there's nothing inherently wrong with going to the grocery store uh, and getting like Pocky. But when you make such a big deal out of it and be like, oh my gosh, it's such a new crazy in like cool thing that no one's ever discovered before i'm like y'all don't know what ranch 99 is like <laughs> you've never you've never had like a choco boy before it's just i don't know sorry continue i like totally interrupted your train of thought no i it's fantastic that you jump in i just wanted to uh, my train of thought was obviously um to give an example and i have one so i'm taiwanese right and i'm actually ethnically Han Chinese, Taiwanese, right? So that thing, um, history. Anyways, um, one of the main things I saw on TikTok that was like last year, no, actually 2019, maybe 2019 summer, they were talking about, you know, how they were dipping like uh, fruit and like uh, sugar. I screamed, I was so mad. That is a traditional, like, you know, street food from East Asia. And they're like, oh my God, look how cute this is. It tastes so good. You should try it without giving any credit, without saying the actual name. If you are going to take our shit and profit off of it, at least say what it is. At least give us the credit of historical thing. And what I was saying before was our existences are not meant for you to take. You're just, you're colonizing. You're colonizing it. Everything relates for at least a lot of Asian issues, like across the board. A lot of it goes back to imperialism and colonization. We have more problems now, but a lot of it goes to the idea of West dominates over the East and the whole idea of taking for them the wealth of each nation. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of people reason- exploit Asian culture like for their own personal gain. No, David Dobrik and Liza Koshy. Like, Liza like, Koshy and David Dobrik. Oh my God, that video made me so mad. They pulled they pulled out the boy Bawang and they were like calling it Japanese and like making exactly. fun of it. I was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was a video like titled something like, you know, foreign snacks and whatnot. And during the video one, they were eating, I believe it was Japanese snacks. They were like imitating these really rude Asian accents. And then there was like, I feel like there's another comment David Dobrik made earlier, like some other video where he was like, oh, we need more Asian people so we can like try these foreign Asian snacks. And like, wasn't there something like that? Or am I completely off? Tokenizing Asians and putting them in your video so you can like appropriate these Asian cultures that's not any better than actually you know just tokenize sorry than appropriating asian cultures without tokenized asians neither of them are good and just yeah overall it's just a really bad thing that white people do really i've seen someone say japan core is their aesthetic like the entirety yep the entirety of japan is their aesthetic yep and it's like the cutesy like kawaii the the um hashtags are always like kawaii kira kira like the sparkle like a big thing is like utilizing Asian spirituality. Like uh, my family's Hindu and like I've seen people like white girls, you know, having Ganesha idols that like I would be so insecure because my dad had one in his car. I'd be so insecure to hide it whenever I was being dropped off at school. And people are like having posters in the back of their walls, like with Ganesha on it or like so much of like Asian spirituality, like, you know, crystals or maybe not specifically crystals, but like I'm trying to think of an example, like meditation or like, you know, um, using karma as like, 
about it. Like that's rooted very much in like Hinduism, like Indian spirituality. And like, it's again, like white girls, like taking it and like saying, claiming it as if it's their own original idea. When in fact, like I've been like insecure about it for the longest time ever and felt the need to like hide it to seem like more white. And now it's like a white girl thing. So like, there's just so much confusion for Asian girls trying to navigate navigate that because we're never going to know like what will the next trend be? When will our, when will our identity or when will our appearance or when will our culture be something that we can like actually showcase? When, when will that be allowed? When will that be likable? When will that be a trend? You know, I just think that like ties into like K-pop anime, um, food, whatever. It's not, it's not just white people either who like, I feel like um, Hindu, like idols, especially as well have been really, um, misused probably probably for like the aesthetic um one of my first posts actually with day was calling out rihanna for um wearing a hindu idol um for a lingerie shoot and there's nothing wrong with like you know wearing jewelry like for a lingerie shoot or whatever but the fact that it was used like casually and um i don't even think she is hindu I don't believe right? so. See, another thing yeah. that some people were doing was excusing her because she's someone who is a POC, but that's so yeah. wrong. Like, something, okay, I'm in Singapore right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, like, on my, I don't really know any Singaporeans because, like, I recently moved here. But, like, on my Explorer page, there are posts from Singaporeans. And I saw a clearly Asian girl, like, saying the N-word in her caption. Like, there were no, barely any comments, like, underneath it, like, calling her out for it. And there was one person who said, like, oh, I thought there were going to be snowflakes in the comments but no like she's a minority like she can say it but like it's not your own experiences you weren't ever targeted or dehumanized with that word so you can't again it's like monolith but like take it to a whole other level i was gonna say like the idea of poc appropriating other poc culture is a major roadblock and understanding that for example black and asian culture have always been at an intersection We've mm-hmm. always played off of each other. And when we have and created beautiful things, especially in food and music and things like that, like it's been great. But I feel like there is a clear, when we call out, obviously when, we, when our community appropriates black culture, we call it out. Yeah. And people of uh, members of the black community have also called out when black uh, creators and black um, influencers or people have also appropriated uh, Asian culture. Mm-hmm. And, I think a main part of our healing is to really understand that we have always interconnected our cultures as a way to have that solidarity as POC. But at the end of the day, like um, mixing pot countries like the uh UK. And also with like half, um, half black, half Asian people, like there is a clear intersection and a blending of our cultures. And that's beautiful, but there's a difference between being part of it and, you know, being able to use it, as a way to promote your product um and i think that it's a very it's a very fine line to toe larger spectrum of why a lot of even like voodoo and any real religion or like type of like oh my god this is like something different than white christianity they tend to take that and paint it in a way that's like so exotic yeah, and they make it palatable to them because they're playing into stereotypes that they think the, what the religion is. And then in doing so, they belittle it by pairing it against the white Christianity that they know. Because what that does is that it paints them as civilized. 
and us as uncivilized and uneducated. And then it continues to belittle us while simultaneously kind of a quote unquote appreciating us in their films, even though it's not a holistic or accurate view of what that religion is like. And another thing I wanted, so I have so many points. Um, no, no, no. I wanted to I wanted to say that with the accent and mocking accents, it really belittles the um, the way that a lot of second generation, third generation, fourth generation immigrants have lost their um, languages that they speak and they have lost their accent. And we find this phenomenon in a lot of Japanese American communities because of World War II sentiments and they didn't want to be targeted in that way. So with that, they had to assimilate and a way of assimilating was losing their native tongue and becoming and having no accent. So then they weren't identifiable as foreign. In relation to that, a lot of other modern problems and modern industries that we see as a, as a um, direct result of war um, is belittled whenever we talk about Asian issues and, and how we see Asian uh, film, uh, Asian representation in film. Um, and of those, I wanted to really rattle off a few. One is the prostitution industry in East and Southeast Asia and how Asian women and a lot of Asian Japanese women in Okinawa are abandoned by whoever um, basically was the father of the child because of the fact that there are a lot of American bases in Asia. And that is a continual display of power and dominance over the East. And it doesn't talk about how the prostitution industry was a direct result of U.S. military mm -hmm. presence in Miss Southeast Asia. Yep. They made it a yeah, romance. No, literally. And also, this, like, very, this is like, I feel like this doesn't have anything to do. Like when I, when I mentioned this, it's going to sound completely off topic. But when I was watching like 90 Day Fiance, the clips of like, big ed and rose i was like why am i so uncomfortable watching this like not only is he coercing her into doing stuff that she doesn't really want to do it's a white dude with a filipino woman from the philippines like it's it's definitely feeling very much like a white guy that sees an exotic filipina asian woman and wants to take her home like that's that's the vibes i was getting from that and no absolutely yeah yeah like that is another stereotype that you were talking earlier about how you feel like you would never date a white man. And like, oh my God, yeah, I relate to that so much. Um, a white woman, white person, sure. But specifically like white men, I don't know if I would ever get into a relationship with one of them because of just how uncomfortable I feel um, knowing that they might have some fetishization going on. Like if my mom is listening to this, or my aunt is listening to this. I'm not talking about my aunt. Like, obviously, there are exceptions to the rules. I have an aunt who has a white husband and a white child. Like, obviously, there are exceptions to the rules. But, like, for me personally, especially with so many, me like, me on social media, seeing so just the sheer amount of white men that fetishize Asian women, um, I don't know if I would ever feel comfortable getting into a relationship with one of them because of how common it is to see these problems um, ex express themselves or manifest themselves in white men. And I think that is understandable for us to distrust white men and in, in relation white women um, because of the fact that we have seen these patterns of behavior occur over and over and over again. And so when trust is broken, there is no way for us to know whether or not 
they're able to, you know, see past their own conditioning and see past the stereotypes that have been continually brought, been brought to their faces. Um, if someone another, hears the argument and they're like, well, if I like get into a relationship with multiple black women or I get into a relationship with multiple Asian women and they hurt me over and over, does that mean I get to hate them too? And oh my God, like I've seen people make that argument. And if I hear anyone like making that argument in retaliation to like what we're talking about with like distrust for white men um, because of issues like fetishization, I'm going to throw hands like I, I, I'm fighting someone. Because no, literally, it's just it's systemic, like you said before. Yeah, that argument isn't even applicable. Mm-hmm. What we're concerned with is the fact that, like, how we're perceived by people. Draw, drawing back to the white gaze, because this is the topic of the podcast episode. Um, how we're perceived, we are taught, like, you know, all the time that we have to be a certain level of desirable in order to be accepted by white people. And so when we like either reach that level of desirability in our own eyes or someone picks us because they feel like we reached that level of desirability um, and then we find out later on that we were just being fetishized, that's a, that's a systemic issue. That is um, quite literally rooted into systems, like you said, imperialism and um, colonization. Those are issues that don't only infiltrate like civilians minds but like it is perpetuated by systems in america so that's why it's okay to be like you know um punching upwards and like being afraid of people that rank higher than you in a social hierarchy because you know that they won't experience what you're affected by and so you have like a valid reason to be afraid of them but when it's just like personal relationships like you just happen to date two asian girls and then they both break up with you i wonder why they would have done that but when you just happen to like date two asian girls and then break up they break up with you and you're like well i'm allowed to like dislike asian women or like distrust asian women because they've all broken up with me like it's not the same it's not comparable at all because there's no systemic issues or concern because of these issues behind your reasoning for not liking asian women it's like what we said absolutely casting where acting racially colorblind in general will it, it's just wrong because interactions with us as poc will always be influenced by our identity because it's also like really to like the dehumanization of P- poc because like white people will always be deemed as people first but for us it's never people first it's asian people first or black people yeah, first, or latinx people first so our racial identity will always be factored into people's interactions with us so. no absolutely and, and white is the default when white people introduce them though they're american we're Asian American, we're, or, you know, something American. It's never just American. So I think that that is just another way that we see how that norm is facilitated. Um, and another thing that I wanted to say was how sex trafficking is such a huge issue and it affects a lot of Asian women and young Asian women. And the way that people don't realize how that sexualization of us is dangerous. It's dangerous to the point where we become, again, sex objects and then People are willing to go to lengths to have those sex objects yes. and in extension, that's actually dangerous. And it, it impacts a lot of women just worldwide and of any race and ethnicity. Um, it just speaks to how women are still and femme presenting people are still very much in danger. Um, one last point I wanted to make with regards to the white gays um, and especially relating back to exoticism is we will see in a lot of sci-fi movies 
how they take place in Asia, Japan. And we will see how somehow, even though we're technologically advanced, we're emotionally stunted, we're socially stunted. And it always comes down to the white protagonist to somehow save the day, to somehow find out that there's corruption going on. I think that is very dangerous because what it does is that while it paints us as technologically involved and obviously intelligent to an extent, it still dehumanizes us because it doesn't allow us to be seen until someone comes along to implant that yeah, into us. Like literally, literally, literally always just being used as a plot device. Like Asian countries. Are- in our own countries. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. And I think that in a lot of these movies, Asian women are seen as a plot device more often than not. Um, whether that's we're somehow robots with, you know, we're experiencing something new all because of a man, number one, but also somehow that man happens more often than not to be white. Yeah, wow. also I like didn't get to mention this, but I was thinking about it um, when I brought up Mantis earlier. It's really funny too, because Ego, if you've never seen like, uh, what is it? Um, no, oh, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy Two. If you've never seen that movie, I'll like explain it very quickly. So Loki spoilers, but whatever. Um, basically, P- uh, Peter, um, Chris. Oh my God, what's his last Pratt. name? The Star-Lord. one that I don't like, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah, Chris Pratt. Uh, his character is the uh, result of a human Earth woman and an alien God guy. Very interesting. I know. Um, but this alien god guy, um, his sidekick is Mantis, which is the subservient Asian woman that I was talking about earlier. And um, Ego basically was just like a colonizer. Like he was imperialist. He was an he was a imperialist and he was a colonizer because he would go to different planets trying to find a way to um, uh, procreate with the inhabitants of that planet and spread his little children all over the world. Uh, all over the universe so that he could like you know become him and his children could become powerful beings which if that isn't colonization like the way you're describing it i don't even understand how they could become a movie like from my perspective that like has i know i know like the plot of the movie when i think about it i'm like wow that's awful especially because mantis was so was characterized so badly and so differently from um her actual character in the comics and stuff i didn't even know mantis was supposed to be like this really cool um out of space vietnamese uh superhero i thought she was just like the meek emotional oh oh my god can i just mention the fact that she's like an empath and she has to interpret all of like the white guy's emotions for him and help him go to sleep like what like what is that like when you when you critically think about the plot of the movie and the role of Mantis after the fact, um, it's just ridiculous because this is every Asian woman stereotype and fantasy rolled into one comic book character. And I, I don't, I, I was baffled thinking about it um, deeper because I was like, how did I not notice any of this earlier? Like he literally went planet to planet trying to find the best place he could spread his children um and also had like this subservient asian woman stereotype sidekick it was i don't know i i just completely remembered that mid conversation so go ahead with your next point i was just gonna say like we're all complicit in it if we don't actively dismantle it i think that's why it's so easy to write plots that where we see parallels with history and 
And we're like, wait, hold on a second. And for us, it's, it's harmful because it's replaying a sense of our stories over and over again, when in fact, again, it's centered around a white man. Yeah, it's literally um, just another, this is just another um, example of like some Asian country being ravaged by um, American imperialism. Um, and in the end, we're just going to be the side characters in our in our stories like and i know i know that that movie was not supposed to be um centered around mantis and her experiences but i find it ridiculous that she was reduced to such a meek character mm-hmm. and it's just like another parallel to every other story you've heard about like war-torn asian countries um that are war-torn because of america in conclusion the way that this is literally about the about the white gays and we just ended up like delving into if that's if that's the one takeaway anyone's gonna get from this episode every single one of these issues is interconnected with the way that white people perceive us because all of these stereotypes all of these tropes who do you think they were created by they were not created by us they were this is how we are perceived by white people so whatever you whatever stereotype you feel like you fit in and this really sucks because we barely got to talk about how colorism comes into this like um we just we mentioned at the beginning of the episode um the hyper masculine masculinity uh that a lot of indian women go through that a lot of um just darker skinned women go through we didn't even get to talk about that but every issue that you face based on your appearance and based on your race and your gender um as an asian person it doesn't matter if you're like a Japanese guy. It doesn't matter if you're um, an, a Filipino woman. Like every single stereotype that you fit into, every single trope that you see yourself in is not created by us. It's created by someone entirely different. And that's the title of this episode. So yes, the the fault of the white man. No, um, yeah. I think what what why it's so effective is because they base it on some observable action that we've done. And that's, and you know why uh, Yellow Peril is a thing and how they use model minority against us, uh, against the larger Asian community. One, Yellow Peril, they were, you know, not, they were only letting certain, um, well, we were working hard because a lot of, you know, um, Asian culture and East Asian culture really prioritizes hard work in a community-based sort of sense. So then when we started working harder and they felt that we were a threat, blah, blah, blah. We get it, history. Mm-hmm. But I also want to say, like, the mono-minority myth. When they were doing immigration, they only allowed the most educated, the most yep. skilled workers from yep. regions of Asia to come in. That's yep. why there's a perception that we're so successful, that we're so smart. Just as a, a, a doorstop between white people and other uh, minority groups. Because we were quite literally, like, cultivated this image of um, what what is the model minority myth? This image of um, the perfect minority, which happens to be Asian, and again based on proximity to whiteness, um, is used as a doorstop between minorities and other minority groups and white people. Because like, this is not an accurate representation of every single Asian person in the world. Like, they quite literally chose the best examples of Asian people to let in this country and state yeah yeah, and base and base um their perception of asian people off of 
like similarly to what you were saying, Mia, historically, like they would only let in, you know, the most successful Asian men or Asian women to work on railroads or other industries that would benefit white communities mainly. And then they would evict Asian women who are working in sex industries because that became a problem when like Asian men weren't allowed to be citizens for a while because they were stealing white property and stealing like white jobs and the white economy. So it's really just like a pick and choose. And then we have to like deal with the repercussions. Yeah. And we didn't have a say in any of that, obviously. Like all the things that we are perceived as were not made by us. Um, Which again, if we're talking about like how uh, Asia is perceived as a monolith, why do you think we're perceived as a monolith? Like we literally weren't allowed to be diverse. Like we were cultivated to be exactly what um, we're perceived as now. In summation, you will see this happen in real life. I had a man in one week after the Atlanta shooting, a white man in my class tell me that a religious man shot eight prostitutes in front of my face to describe the situation that happened. It is dangerous to read, to play into these stereotypes because what it does is harmful to each community and each community of color and each ethnicity and their communities have every marginalized community has their own problems. You have to dismantle this perception that you have that is being perpetuated by the media around you. You have to dismantle it. And what what you do, you have to center the voices that are being affected, number one. And you need to do your own research. You can't rely on traditional forms of media to tell you the truth. You really can't. Not about these things when our identities are being politicized and being used as objects, as tactics, and being made palatable to the dominant culture. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that there won't be Asian people that exist within those stereotypes. There will be really outspoken, um, abrasive Asian women. There will be meek Asian women, but it is everyone else's job to realize that those aren't the only two types of people to exist. And those personality traits don't define the rest of Asia. Like you have to really broaden your worldview. And people are multifaceted and multidimensional. You can have more than one personality that is meek. There's so much more nuance to a person. Yeah, also Asia is gigantic. She's a big girl. She is a large continent. Yeah, we need to see our excellence being written by people from our community. And that's all. That's that's it. We need to see our excellence and our diversity being written by people of our community. Everything you guys just said, I second 100%. (laughs) Want more of Dear Asian Girl? You can find us everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. We're on everything. Can't get enough? Subscribe, follow, rate, review to get all the updates on the latest at DAG. Let us know your feedback and what we can do to improve. We also can be found on Instagram. Follow us at Dear Asian Girl to receive updates about our latest episodes and fun facts about the host. We'd love for you to reach out. DAG Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to share the stories of Asian girls everywhere. For the Asian girl, by the Asian girl.